or whatever that may come. A lot of toilet paper. So we're not letting that happen. We're not going to be caught without toilet paper again. I'm telling you, that toilet paper apocalypse was a bad one. It was bad. It was bad. <coughs> it, you, okay. Yeah. So you, you got you some toilet paper then? Well, we were in Africa, as y'all remember, when it all happened, and so we were we were getting pictures of the Walmart um, in Greenville, the shelves, and so right with nothing. And so when we got off the plane in Houston, I said, "Go to Kroger. Let's see how Houston looks." And obviously, there's a lot more grocery stores there, and so we found it, it was pretty. I mean, you could tell it looked like people had gone in there and gone crazy, but there were things on the shelf. So we bought our groceries at Houston, and our toilet paper. We couldn't, it was hard to find toilet paper even then though, wasn't it, Mike? That's right. Honestly, you know things are bad when you're bringing toilet paper back from Africa to America. It usually goes the other way. But I discovered that, anyway, the, the toilet facilities in Africa are not up to par. I'll just put it that way. Uh, well, you're not... You can't just take toilet paper, Letha. You need to take something to throw, anything that you might need to throw away when you go to the restroom in, because the toilets don't flush. They, you actually pour water in, you know, like, I mean, you, how many of y'all, you know, take a five-gallon bucket and you throw water into the toilet bowl itself and it flushes? Y'all know, y'all know how to do that? Well, my ki the younger generation in Africa had no idea. They weren't raised country like some of us. And so Lainey was like, I can't get the toilet to flush. I said, you just pour water into it. She said, and she was trying to take off the tank in the back. And then if the guts are not in the tank, that won't work. She said, it still won't work. She's taking forever. I said, you just pour water really quick into the bowl. She said, what will that do? <laughs> I said, you'll see. It'll flush it. So she learned the old-fashioned way how to flush a toilet. You know, how many of y'all remember doing toilets? Like, yeah, well, younger kids, they can't use rotary phones or flush a toilet that way. <laughs> They're no good at all. They can. They can update your phone and do that very well, though. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, with the what the lime. Yeah. You do need to share it, but no one will care until they need it. So that's just a fact. Yeah, that's right. You'll be. We're coming to you when we can't get eggs. She'll be ready to go. Okay, so this morning as we get started, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Who has any prayer requests or praise reports? Obviously, the election and the country, we know that. We will continue to pray for that. Does anybody else have anything? What? Pray for you. Yes. Let's keep dug in our prayers. Yes. Okay, your brother. Mm -hmm. Health, right? Okay. Who else? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask, Lord God, that you would minister to every need in the place, Lord God. We pray for Doug's heart right now in the name of Jesus. We just, Lord God, speak life into this body, Lord God. 
We just ask in the name of Jesus that you would awaken this heart. Lord God, every place that's dead, we speak life in the name of Jesus, Lord. We just ask that you would resurrect this heart. Lord God, that there is nothing too hard for you. And we speak life into his body by the power of the Spirit of God. We ask for that anointing to fall right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for this brother. I ask, Lord God, that you would touch him and that you would raise him up, Lord God, and that you give him revelation of your glory, Lord God. I pray, Father, that he, Lord God, would glorify you in everything he does in his life. And Lord God, you would restore him to health to serve you. Lord, we pray, Father, for our country. We pray for our president, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, for the citizens of this nation, Lord God, that we would put our eyes on you, who, are the, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord God. We pray that every scheme and plan of the enemy we would, be, would be thwarted in the name of Jesus. We take authority over every diabolical plan that hell has hatched in the name of Jesus, and we render it powerless right now by, the, by agreement, Lord God. We operate, Lord God, in our office of the church, Lord God, and we ask that you would loose peace, Lord God, in this nation, Lord God. And we ask most of all that you would loose a mighty revival, Lord God, that you're glory, Lord God, would be poured out in your church, Lord God, that people will be drawn to you, Lord. We ask, Lord God, for a third great awakening, and we ask, Lord God, that you would touch the hearts and lives of humanity, Lord God. Turn us to you again, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to continue talking about authority and another aspect of it today, and we're going to be talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit now, um, last week I did, I, I shared with you how the Lord had spoken to me about, about assignment and how that has been so profound, even throughout this week. It's so amazing how when God gives you a word, that it just seems to change everything, that it realigns you. And I began to think about assignment, about it being as a target, an archer's target, and how whenever you get the target right for your life, you reach to that quiver. You never, the archer never takes his eyes off the target, does he, to reach for. I mean, how many of you seen, what's it, Hunger Games? You don't have to admit. Katniss, she reaches for the arrow in that quiver. She doesn't turn around and fumble and look at her quiver, does she? An archer doesn't. They reach and the arrow's there and in one movement. And I began to think about how assignment is so much that way that when we get our eyes on the target, most and many times and in my life and I know in your life too, it seems like the target's moving or fading or just I can't find the target. And then here we are, we, we're, we're, we're fumbling around for arrows and we can't find, they feel like there's no arrows in our quiver. We're trying to, we're trying to launch into the promises of God. We're trying to declare and speak things and it's just, it's clumsy and it just doesn't seem to be hitting. Anybody ever had that? But I've discovered when you get the target right that the arrows are in the quiver. Lord does not waste resources on things that are not his design. I don't know if you believe that or not, but it's true. He doesn't just, he's not the giant genie in the sky and we get three wishes if we know how to be craftier than the genie. I mean, many people approach prayer that way. And I know that because I've been in church for so long and I've been asked the questions, well, how are you praying? Well, what did you say? How did you pray that? You got to be careful what you pray for. I mean, how many of you have heard those things? 
And in many times we say those things as if there's some giant formula that God is trying to trick the genie. You know, you know how crafty, you've seen the movies about genies, what are they always trying to do? Get out of giving the wish. Or how many of you remember the old, you'll, you'll, ah, Pam, hey, you'll tell your age on this, as I will, and I'll do this because um, Sean Connery died, this will be in honor of him. How many of you have seen the movie, one of my all-time favorites, Darby O'Gill and the Little People? Oh, we got some hands. Really? Who's seen it? We got, oh, 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 we got it. Where Sean Connery runs into the king of the leprechauns, right? And, and he's going to find the pot of gold, and he's trying to, but that leprechaun is so crafty. He just can't get what he, that leprechaun has all this power and has all this ability to wish, to grant his wishes and to make him exceedingly rich or exceedingly powerful or whatever it is he wants. But he just can't get that leprechaun. He can't out-trick him. And so many times our prayer life sort of relates to that. As though we're trying to convince an unwilling God to give us things that he doesn't really want to. And we have to posture ourselves just right, and we have to hold our mouth just right, and we have to use just the right culmination of phraseology and, just, and do it just right and appear just right. And then, but that's not how God is. But we do know that in what I quoted last week, I didn't look it up. Is it Luke 6? I don't know. You'll know. Where it says, if your father... We started here last week. We'll start here again, and we'll move a little bit beyond it. If you ask for an egg, if you ask for an egg, he'll not give you a snake. I'm, I'm asking y'all because, you know, I, I get them mixed up. If you ask for an egg, he'll not give you a scorpion. Is that right? If you ask for a, a fish, he'll not give you a serpent, something like that. And so we know that. In looking there, that the scorpions and the serpents are not from who? Because he compares earthly fathers to our heavenly father. And he says, even you earthly fathers, if your son asks for a scorpion or asks for an egg, your father won't give him a scorpion. If you ask for a loaf of bread, it might be, he won't give them a serpent. Correct? He said, and then we also looked last week, it says, Behold, Jesus says, I give you power to tread on. So not only does he not give us the snakes and the scorpions in our life, he gives us the power to tread on snakes and scorpions. But then the rest, if we go back to the narrative there of the snakes and scorpions, it says, but if you, what do we in that scripture ask our heavenly father for? Jesus says, do you have it there, Dennis? Anybody? If you ask your heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit, will he not also freely give him to you? How do you have power over the snakes and the scorpions? Through the Holy Spirit. So we have... When talking about spiritual authority, we have been assigned, we have been given, we have been gifted, we have been graced. The one who has all power in heaven and earth, 
the one who on the dawn of creation, the very first person that we ever see given action to. And in the beginning, look, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. This is the account of creation. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God spoke, and he said, let there be light. And light was. And he divided the light from the day and from the night. The very first person who is given activity in the Bible is who? The Holy, and the Holy Spirit, what did he do? Action. Remember back to your English days. He hovered. That's the verb. He's hovering. What hovers? What do you think of when you think of hovering? A helicopter? Probably not in the Genesis account, but that's right. A cloud may hover. A bird. And what is the Holy Spirit likened to? So we see this hovering of the Holy Spirit hovering over. And when God spoke, the Holy Spirit jumped into action to accomplish creation from the will of the Father. Now, as we look at this, we're going to begin talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because any of you would ask, I would to God that every person in here would ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. I would to God that every person in here would build yourself up in your most holy faith. How? Somebody finish the rest of the scripture. How do you build yourself up in your most holy faith? According to the word of God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. I would to God. We talk about spiritual authority and we want it. But we want it according to our own definitions and our own prerequisites and our own comfortability, right? We want revival that doesn't cost us much, but gives us a lot. I mean, how many of you listened to that Wednesday night service that Mike preached regarding the Hebrides revival? Raise your hand. Okay, we have four. It was Wednesday night. You can go find it. I told y'all not to. I thought it might spark you into it. You're like, cool. Okay. I loved, it'd just be me and you, okay? And a couple of, you know, these few. I loved, that's what started. I mean, I'm telling you, God did something in that. Did y'all not feel the spirit of God in there? It was powerful. I had the distinct feeling, had, we weren't having service that night, but, there were people who came to service anyway. I had the distinct feeling that should you have asked us to stay there and pray, extended, there was the Spirit of God was there to do it. There was such a, I'm not leaving this place. There was. And so, as I listened to that, and when you talked about those, those women, those elderly women who most of society would probably euthanize. One was blind. The other was crippled over, bent, stooped over with arthritis. They said, 
we think we'll start praying for a revival. And they began praying at 10 o'clock at night. And they prayed till how long? Till 3 or 4 in the morning. They committed to do it. When? How often? Twice a week. I thought when you said that, they have the whole day. They're 80 and 84 or 87. They can pray any time they want to. I don't think their busy schedules are keeping them from praying at a reasonable hour. That was my thought. But I had, as I listened to more of the story, I had to start thinking that that prayer time was sparked by the Holy Spirit. Because let me just tell you the last thing God wants to do is make a move of God and his life intersecting yours convenient. So, these women took up the torch of the inconvenience of praying. How many of you say it would be inconvenient to pray from 10 till 3 or 4 in the morning? And every hand goes up. And so they began to pray. And what was amazing to me is when did God move in those aisles? At 3 and 1 in the morning. Where people would be woken by the Spirit of God from their bed. They would get up for no reason that they knew and get dressed and go to the church or to the police station. And they would lay in the ditch and weep under the power of God. Now, the reason they went to the police station, the only thing they can find out that they, re they reasoned was that the two little women that prayed lived right beside the police station. Now, as I look at this, I think about God. Do we really want revival? Do we really want to be inconvenienced in our life? Do we want God to show up in a way that distorts our lives and makes it so uncomfortable and yet still be okay with it? Now, I know that that is not the truth. I have been in church long enough to know what people do when the Spirit of God pours out. You say, well, it wouldn't happen here. It already has. When the Spirit of God pours out and people are, I don't know, doing things that you can't explain with your so smart mind. Because I know y'all are all so smart. And does things that you can't explain. Then people have a propensity to go to the pastor and say, I don't like this. This is in the flesh. The persons who wouldn't move to the altar if God got a crane and a crowbar and a come along. I'm making you uncomfortable yet? That's okay. I don't care. But yet they have an inside track on what is and is not the Spirit of God. Give me a break. I am telling you, God will offend your flesh. And God will have a revival. It will either come at your agreement or your disagreement, but God's going to have a revival. I believe it, y'all. 
I know it in every fiber of my being. God is going to move. I don't care. I say this. I go on record as saying this. I have voted my conscience as I believe that you have. And I'm believing that God will give us a a person in office who will lead us according to biblical principles. And that's what I will say about that. But even if that person that I voted for doesn't win the election... I still say God's going to send a revival. And you know what? Sometimes in order for a revival to come, it's got to get, your present situation has got to get so bad that you will reach for something else. Until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, you will find no change in your life. Now, I don't wish any pain on you. But there are some of us, myself included, that just won't realize how good you have it in the Father's house until you're at a pig pen. And so my prayer has often been, Lord, hasten us to the pig pen. If we come to ourselves, I'm going to fall, y'all. If we come to ourselves and begin to believe that God will move and that his Holy Spirit will become, become the power within our lives, then it's worth it all. I'm not trying to be dire. I am not a gloom and doom person. I believe we can pray and that we can step into the promises of God because we choose to serve him. As Moses said, see, I have, he's begging on the plains of Moab, that great Old Testament prophet. He's standing there, his feet buried in the sands of Moab. He can see Jordan just to, he can see, he can see the promised land just across the Jordan. He can't step there. And he says, See, under the Spirit of God, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose life that you might live, but you won't. So what do you, read it, Deuteronomy. But you won't. As a matter of fact, he prophesies the Babylonian captivity. Oh, God, if you just show us the way, we'd do it. No, you wouldn't. Not without you. Here's the kicker, y'all. Not without you and me and whoever calls himself a child of God being fully and totally submitted and surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ and having that lordship officiated in your life by the third person of the Godhead known as the Holy Spirit. And that's a fact. And you are not on assignment if the Holy Spirit is not walking through you and bringing you in to agreement with Christ. So as we look here, John 16, Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit. I figure what he says is probably accurate. So I will start by saying that the word of God does not contain truth. The word of God does not contain truth. The word of God is truth. The belief that the word of God contains truth leaves you with the ability to pick and choose what is truth and what is not. And that will not get you anywhere but a big pot of heresy. 
Okay, uh, John 16, let's go to 16 and 6. I'm going to read through this a little bit. It says, rather sorrow, oh no, seven, let's start seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who sends the Holy Spirit? Who does he send him to? Me. When he comes, here's what he's going to do. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I am going to my father and you will see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world stands condemned. So we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit there. Now the first thing that I want to look at here is it says, Jesus says, it's very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. It's for your good. Now, when you have a good thing and you think it's a good thing and somebody tells you this good thing's going to get better, how many of you are really apt to let go of your good thing that you have for a better thing that you don't? Anybody? Let that sink in a little bit. How many of you, if somebody tells you, you've got this good thing you really like, you're really attached to? It's good. That's why it's called good. It's good. You're not sick of it. You're not tired of it. You love this good thing. And somebody says, it's better that you lose this good thing to get something better. How many of you are like getting in that line? None of you. You're not, are you? It's hard, isn't it? I think some of us, many times in our life, we have made some decisions and we've lost good things and took hold of better things. Only to discover that sometimes the better things were we weren't as comfortable walking in the better things. And so we forfeited the better things to try and go back to the good things, only not to be able to find the good things anymore, that they weren't there. And then if we did find the good things, find they were no longer good. Anybody? Now you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Uh-huh. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> so as I look at this, I think, wow, God. So Jesus is here, and he said, I know you got a good thing. He's talking about himself. But I, I'm going to go away, and it's going to be better. It's good. He said, it's good that I go away. It's good. He says, another translation says, it's expedient. So I looked up expedient. Here's all the different translations I could find. It's to your benefit. It's best. It's to your advantage. It's for your profit. It's expedient, and it's better. All those adjectives define something that's, okay, Jesus said there's a... I'm here with you in person, but there's something better. How many of you honestly, what do you think about that? Do you believe it? Why is it, would you, now I'm just going to give this to you. I'm asking for some honesty. If you could have Jesus there sitting beside you in person, or the Holy Spirit living inside of you, which would you take? It is. Come on, I'm looking for honesty, y'all. That's. Yeah. You're exactly right. And you. Yeah, 
Jesus is confined to the earthly ministry of one earthly body. We understand that, don't we? Okay, now let's take it to the next step. Y'all are all so theologically sound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we're also theologically sound if it's better. If it's better. And you shall do greater works. Ah, uh, my question to you is, as the people who understand the word of God, are you interacting with the Holy Spirit in such a way that you found the gooder? You see what I'm saying? I can't say that I do. And it saddens me. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, take full control of my life and let me see the best you have to offer. Everything in my life that does not glorify you, I ask you to remove it. I ask you to report it to my heart so that I may repent of it. I ask you, Lord, to be fully alive in me to the degree that the New Testament promises that I may experience biblical results. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. We'll say this is so much better. So much be We'll say this is expedient. Do what? You got to trust that the God in you is the same one that walked on the earth in the days of Jesus and that you can accomplish whatever the Bible says you can accomplish by faith. Mm-hmm. They ran too. That is the biblical results I'm talking about. I've said it in here before. I feel as though the last 15 years of the church have been devastating to the body of Christ. I do. I saw it coming. I saw it coming around 2005. I really did. And I, I, I'm careful not to bring any shadows of doubt anywhere, but there was a, it was new then. It was called, we called it seeker-friendly or seeker-sensitive. And in this movement, there was a cry to take everything offensive out of the communication of the gospel for fear that people would not feel like they were welcomed in the church. 
So what that means is you don't talk about sin in so much that you call it sin because sin, if I call you a sinner, that makes you feel bad. So instead I talk to you and I say, you're just a person who has struggles. And I say, just because you do bad things doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a person who's struggling just like the rest of us. We're all sinners. Saved by grace. A grace that is a, a whimsical feeling that does nothing more than just blind God to all of our errors. And we didn't mean, we didn't mean to, to suck it up, but I mean it came, it came hard and fast down the pipe. It was everywhere. Some churches put ashtrays in their restrooms. That way, people who smoked, we weren't, we weren't trying to get people, we wanted them to feel welcome. You know, people, sinners come in and they smoke, and we want to let them know that if they choose to do so, we're okay. We're not, no one's judging. Yeah. Because it was more comfortable to do that. And, that, and, that's what, and then we had the birth of the megachurch. And then we've got, and I don't mean anything by this, skinny jeans and fog machines. And the best caramel macchiato you can find anywhere. And you will have a top-notch praise and worship performance going on that would rival any Christian artist anywhere. And you can lick the whipped cream off of your coffee drink while we praise Jesus for you. I went to one, a church, right over here, and I won't say where. <laughs> we were off on a Sunday. We said, we're going to go to church. It's Assembly God, because that's who we are. Just kidding. We go in. Wow, Starbucks. Everybody's out there, tables. It's like a mall. You know, and we walk in and sit down, and he's like, where do you want to sit? And I don't know, I can't see because it's so dark in here. It's dark to hide the coffee stains on the carpet. I think we'll sit, right? We'll sit here. I wanted to move because the people in front of me got up and down so many times during worship to go get a new coffee drink. One was eating yogurt. Here eating yogurt and drinking caramel macchiatos and another one go out and they come back in with another coffee drink. I just wanted, I felt like Jesus. I wanted to make a whip out of cords. I'm not kidding. And then it, I can tell you when it was that we went. It was the day after Barack Obama signed into legislation that homosexuals could marry, and he did it by executive order. Y'all remember that? It was on June 26th, because that's our anniversary. And we had gone out of town for our anniversary, and we had spent the night in Dallas, and we came back through and went to a church. And the pastor got up there, who I know, and I respect. And I won't say his name. No, I can't. I can't. I can't do it. And he preached about homosexuality. And that's good, but he said, now guys, don't get all bent out of shape about this. It's no bigger deal than your obesity. 
and gluttony. That's what he said. No bigger deal. So be careful when you're judging is what he said. And I thought, dear God, I'd heard this man preach before. I'd heard him. You had too. And he and I both thought, what has happened to our churches? Where are the preachers? Where are the prophets? And listen, I do not discredit pastors. They're competing with your jobs. They're competing with your kids' travel teams. They're competing with cheerleading camp. We have to pay for your kids to go to to go to church camp, and you'll shell out hundreds of dollars for them to go to church camp. Don't blame the pulpit when the pew bears just as much responsibility. Yes. That's how it's supposed to work, Michael. The Holy Spirit, that's where we got to get. And I'm saying all this not to make us feel bad. I want us to feel bad so we can feel better. I would like for us to, I don't like just to be a diagnostician. I want to be a person who gives you the therapeutic, who gives you the cure for it, who gives you the treatment. And I believe that we have not spiraled so far that God cannot lift us up. But it will cost you your convenience. It will cost you, dare I say, dear God, dear God, don't say it, Andrea, don't say it, your safety. Good. She said your dignity. How many of you ever looked undignified when the Holy Spirit hit you? Wow. I have. And I say, God, if I'm so in love with myself, Holy Spirit, forgive me that I love my comfort and my dignity and myself so much that I won't be regarded a fool for you if I need to be. That I won't stand in the place of uncomfortability. That I won't be willing to walk in the place where it might not be safe, if you know what I mean. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of power and the ministry of authority. But no authority flows where no authority is where you're not under authority. And we have to be under the complete authority of the Holy Spirit in our life, or we're so hit and miss. So hit and miss. I loathe. Here I go again. I love, I'll start there. I love the gifts of the Spirit. Love them. There are nine named in Corinthians. I have seen God move and do things that were amazing. I loved what Tim Teague said last week. Why do we go to church? Because you cannot, 
No matter how spiritual you are, you cannot manifest all nine gifts of the Spirit. You need the body to do that. And so if you don't want to come to church because you don't think you need to come to church to be a Christian, okay, fine. You might make heaven. And I'll be surprised to see you there. You know what I'm saying? It's right. I wouldn't want to run that risk, would you? I'll, I'll give it to you. We can, we can circle around that theology, and I hope you're right. But you cannot see the gifts of the Spirit in operation unless you're a part of a body. And if you do not want to be a part, it says to earnestly do what? Earnestly do what? Desire, contend for what, Dennis? Spiritual gifts. How many of you, now I want this to hit you so hard between the eyes that it makes your heart break wide open and you bawl hot tears unto God. How many of you earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation in your life? Earnestly, then you got to go to church to do that. Many people are like, I just don't feel like I can serve here. It's just not for me. Well, it's not for you. You're for them. You don't. We don't. Many people are like, you know, there's just nothing for me for that, on that service or that service or in here. There's nothing for me. There's just nothing for me. It's not for you. You're for them. Oh, Lord, make me a servant. I think he wants to look at us and go, how would I go about doing that? Pray tell. It would mean the removing of your flesh. And you love that stuff. Ah, oh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is expedient that I go away. Oh, God, send us your spirit. Send us, Lord God, a baptism of grace that we contend for. The Holy Spirit in our life. He fulfills the intercessory role. Did y'all know that? The intercessor in our life. Let's look at Romans 8 real quick. Romans 8. The intercessory role of the Holy Spirit. Many people love to quote this scripture. They love it. I love it. I love it a lot. Romans 8. Romans 8, the best chapter probably in the Bible. The most complete. Romans 8. No, just Romans, no, Romans 8, 7. Let's go to Romans 8, 7. I'm just going to skip through here a little bit because it's so packed. And you need, I mean, I would love to be able to quote every bit of Romans 8. That will be a goal of mine. Um, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Huh. Okay. That's, that's discouraging. Okay, we go on. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. Oh, that's encouraging. If indeed, if indeed... Okay, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give your life, your mortal bodies... Give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that lives in you. Man, this is, Holy Spirit's doing a lot for me. Therefore, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. I don't have to do what my flesh says. My flesh is dead. My flesh is gone. I don't listen to my flesh. That stinking, thinking, no good for nothing rat who would drag me back to the pits of hell. I don't listen to my flesh. 
My flesh says, did you see how they looked at you? I say, shut up, flesh, you idiot. I like idiot. That's one from the archives. It's like, I don't listen to my flesh. You better stay home. You're tired. Shut up, flesh. He'll give me strength. They don't appreciate you there. Shut up, flesh. You whining, sniveling brat. Hey, we don't do that that often. That's right. I better post on Facebook. Mm. <laughs> post. I don't know why all you haters are on here. You don't like it. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Poof. Praise the Lord, I'm so spiritual. What? Post. Come on. Am I, being, am I lying or am I telling the truth? And what is that? A double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways, he shall think that he will never receive anything from God. That's what James said about it. So we have here, it's war. There's an all-out war in this room. You know who it's with? No. Now, you get the flesh under control first. Satan will have nowhere to operate. You know, that's the land that he dwells. He can only operate in your flesh. That's a seed. The seed of Satan, go back to Genesis 3.15. The, the thesis of the Bible. And I will put enmity between the seed of the woman, between her seed and your seed, the seed of the serpent. Enmity. How many know what enmity means? Give me a word that means enmity. Hatred. Conflict. Conflict. Constant conflict. I will, what is it? Nemesis. There you go. I will put enmity between your seed. Now, how many seeds are we talking about here? I've got two seeds. The seed of the woman, who is who? We know who that is, right? It's Christ. And the seed of... Satan. Who are the children of Satan? Those who walk in the flesh. Because when man disobeyed in the garden and Adam fell from his state of innocence, the soul, the body, soul, and the spirit were united in a way under God's sovereignty. But when Adam disobeyed God, the spirit then became inactive, dead, no longer communicated with God. And the the connection between the soul, your mind, will, and your emotions, and your body gave birth to the seed of Satan, which is called your flesh. That's the carnality. That's where, that's how we interact. And that is what Paul says we are, we aren't, we aren't, we don't listen to the flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the spirit. And we see this intercessory role of the spirit. If we go on, I'm going to move down a little further into 27. I'm going to go 27, 8. I'm moving. I'm going. Let's see. Call those. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children, nope, that's not it. Am I? No, I moved to 9. This won't work. How did I get to 9? 8. 8.27, I think. Maybe 20. Yeah, read that for me. That's it.
Right. So the Spirit, we don't know what to pray. The Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings. Now, this is interesting. If you were to back up two more verses in that same chapter there, you would find out there are three groanings mentioned. What groans, according? Do anybody know it right off the top of their head? Creation groans? You groan, the, the children of God groan, and the Spirit groans. That's all groaning. Right? I'm like, there are three, it, it names specifically three groans. But we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan within ourselves. All creation groans and travails. We too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan within us that we eagerly are waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our bodies. We want to put off this earth suit. Man, I don't see people wanting to put off their earth suit. I don't. I see them so attached to their earth suit, it is like if they didn't have that, they wouldn't have no life at all. But anyway, that's another story. But we look here, and it says the spirit groans. Well, I looked up the word groan. I looked it up, and it means sighing, especially brought on by circumstances creating great pressure to groan. The spirit is interceding for you. Now, many people say that, oh, my salvation is secure because the spirit's interceding for me. How's he interceding for you according to that scripture? With what? Groanings. Groaning there is, it's brought on by circumstances creating great pressure. I groan. It means to express grief, anger, or desire. To moan, to groan, to sigh with frustration. A deep feeling which is internal and unexpressed. I believe the Spirit groans within the heart of His church, within the heart of a believer, wanting to manifest the children of God, wanting to see the flesh pulled back and the Spirit step forth from a life of a believer who refuses to walk according to the flesh. How many of you have ever been in a tough situation that brought a great breakthrough to you? Happens all the time, doesn't it? It's a circumstance that creates it. There are so many times in our life that God, he would love, he would love for us to walk in constant perpetual blessing. How many of you believe that? But we won't agree with him in that way. And so we step outside of his best for us and it creates a frustration and a groaning in our life that things are just not right. And people say, oh, I just can't hear from God anymore. I just, I don't love. That's just that groaning inside of you. The Spirit of God wants to penetrate that shell. That's the intercessory role of the Spirit of God in our life. Hebrews talks about the intercessory role as well. Another familiar scripture that you know. It says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That scripture, it's in the book of Hebrews, so it's written to who? Hebrews. Hebrews are Jews. Jews are familiar with the sacrificial system. Do you know one of the primary roles that the priests did? See, we got our high priest is Jesus. 
We got the priesthood of the Holy Spirit as an intercessor, right? Working on the inside of us. He's trying to reconcile you to Christ in every way. The Word of God, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God as a priest would. You know how the, you know how the priest used the sword? It was to divide the sacrifice. He would bring, the sacrifice would be brought to him. You know what he'd do? He'd cut its neck. It wasn't done there. It wasn't like, slice his throat, boys, and throw it on the fire. No. It was a gruesome job. As that priest divided that sacrifice. This is pretty gross. All of the entrails. There were certain parts of the organs that could not have to be removed. Certain parts of the meat, the joint that belonged here and belonged there. It's like a butcher. You know, you've been you've, to dress out. The sa- See, the author of Hebrews whoever you think it is, is using the same parallel but using the spirit, the sword of the spirit, the sword of the sword which belongs to the spirit, the sword of the, the word of God. And he takes that sword and he divides the sacrifice. Raise your hand if you think you know who the sacrifice is. It's me. Romans 1 and 2 says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Jesus said this, you think I've come to bring peace on earth? Well, that, that, well, yeah, Jesus, you're called the Prince of Peace by Isaiah. But there's only one way to get to peace. It's to divide. It's to conquer one and let another rise up. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Another translation in another gospel says it this way. You think I came to bring peace? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. What is he trying to divide? Good and bad? What is it? The flesh from the spirit. I believe everybody in here is saved. I do. No one goes 9.30 unless you're saved. That's the rule. But I do not believe everyone is divided. I don't. I believe that our hearts are so covered in flesh. We need our hearts circumcised. The flesh has got to be removed from our lives. And that's what the Holy Spirit's ministry is in our life. It's not to make us powerful. He will make you powerful. It is to see you come to an end and to see Christ and the power of Christ come to a beginning. That's the exchanged life. To think that we were going to retain our lives and get his to boot is foolishness. The only offer he gives us is whoever retains their life will lose it. God gave me this revelation about the divided life when I was probably 26. And I, I didn't know how important it was at that time. 
I wasn't mature enough at that time to understand it. But as I'm getting to be old enough now that I can no longer do squats, as me and Stacy were talking about, I understand the importance of the day we live. And that I am not called to do what I want. I'm not called to say, Lord, this is my past, and my hurt, and my anxiety, and my depression. Our language, we retain such ownership of our life. I am called to say, God, rid me of every single thing that does not bear witness of you, and everything that I have belongs to you. And that he will guide us concerning things. He'll reveal to us, the Holy Spirit says, things that are and things that are to come. Where's that written at? Somewhere. Y'all know it's true. Things that are and things that are to come. Where, where does he never take us to? Things that are and things to come. We never go back. You know why it's illegal? It is illegal for us to traffic in a place that he's already purchased. And I would find most people in the house of God trafficking in their past because they do not believe it's been purchased. It is illegal. The Holy Spirit will show you things that are and things that are to come. He didn't think, he doesn't, if, if it's showing you things that you used to be, the hurt that happened to you back there, it's already healed. And when we stop trafficking back there and we allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit to divide us in that way that we no longer claim ownership to those things. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying they didn't happen. And I'm not saying people who hurt you didn't hurt you and it's not legitimate. I'm not lessening those. I'm, you understand that, right? I'm just saying it's doing you no good. If it's purchased, if, if you, how many of you have ever sold a house? How many of you still go to that house and hang out and watch TV? Knock on the door. Can you imagine? I, own, I used to own this house. Yeah, well, I remember we bought it from you. Yeah, just hanging out, just coming over. Me as the owner, I'm going to go, you don't, you don't own this anymore. See, that's the Holy Spirit. Christ, per when he said it's finished, he purchased it all. When you came to him and you said, Jesus, I heard about the purchase agreement that we've got and you purchased my past and you give me a present and a future, I want that. I want that. Holy Spirit, I want you to hold me accountable to my present and my future and I want you to cause me to walk away from my past. And then you keep on hanging out in the land of the past. He says, you're trespassing. I thought you sold that to me. That's what redemption is, is an exchange. You sold that to me, and you're trafficking there. Trespassers will be prosecuted, and you have been prosecuted for years under the shame and weight because Satan has found an avenue to destroy you and to keep you from the body of Christ and to keep you from the fullness of God in your present and take you into your future. The Holy Spirit wants to give you the best, the expedient, the beneficial, the good, the better. But we've got to allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit to divide us and say, Lord, I choose you. I choose you all day, morning, noon, and night. God, have your way. Amen. We've got to go. We're not too late. This is not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Y'all don't need all that bathroom potty break.